pray. Amen. Let's, let's get into it. Father, we just choose right now to continue to give you our attention. To focus our heart and our affection on you. To open our hearts to receive your word, to embrace it. And Lord, we thank you that when you speak your word to us, with that comes the grace, which is the ability to put that word into practice. So we thank you for your grace that you make available for us to respond and, and apply your word. Teach us, Holy Spirit, your word today so that we can be transformed. We can continue to draw closer to you. We can continue to grow in effectiveness in our service to you. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our midst, in our lives, in our families, in this congregation, in this community, in the world. And, Lord, we're grateful that we get to be a part of your kingdom being established. And we love you, Father, and we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to continue in a, a series that I started. It's uh, turning out a little bit longer than I intended because I feel like the Lord told me to, to park on one, one area. But basically, we are talking about developing a culture of honor here in this church. One of the two things that I believe the Lord wants us to cooperate with him in doing is developing a culture of honor, which is... Allowing him to develop a relational environment in this place. We've been talking about over the last several months about effective discipleship. What a disciple is, what that means and everything. And we realize that effective discipleship only comes through intentional and close relationships. If we look at how Jesus modeled making disciples, he drew men into himself and he spent time with them. He spent time with them. And so we see how he modeled that. And then you realize that when he left about three and a half years later, when he was killed, resurrected, and he went to be with the father. And he said, okay, guys, it's on you now. Go and do the stuff. Get it done. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. And these men turned the world upside down by following the example that they were modeled for three years. They saw Jesus doing the stuff. They saw how he did it. They saw how he treated people. They saw how he just loved and moved with compassion and everything. And they didn't just hear him teach it. They saw him do it. And then they did the same thing. And then as a result, because of their obedience and their effectiveness, we are here today. Believers in Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we realize that that true discipleship only comes through relationship. Not the kind of relationship that is typically realized and experienced in the churches on a Sunday morning. Not that kind of relationship because that's very surfacy and, and very shallow. And in, in actuality, Sunday morning is not designed for deep relationships. But Sunday morning should be a place where we encourage and we continue to move forward in our relationships. A time to come together as family and enjoy each other's fellowship and everything. But it's not a time... To really get to know each other. And we realize that. But we have to, if God is wanting, if God is going to be able to do what he wants to do in this place, we have to cooperate. Would you agree with that? 
And we believe that God is wanting to establish a relational environment where we can come together and learn and grow together, be accepting of each other, and become intentional with each other and grow close so that we can develop relationships of accountability. Because, see, i got stuff going on in my life. And if I'm left to myself, as much as I love the Lord, and I'm just left to my struggles by myself, I may not overcome those. But I believe God's design is for me to be around brothers that care about me, accept me, love me to the point of telling me the truth. And then in that relation and those relationships, I'm going to be helped. I'm going to be encouraged when I'm discouraged. A brother can lift me up and encourage me to keep going on. But it's only in that kind of relationship where I'm going to be vulnerable. If I'm not vulnerable and I keep things to myself I got it all together. I don't need anybody's help. Then I'm going to be by myself. And that's typically the type of environments that you find in churches. Isolation. There's no way I'm going to open myself up because I'm going to be judged. And God, that is not God's model. That's not God's design. Would you agree with that? And so we have to be intentional in moving towards a relational environment. And so that's what we've been talking about the last few times that I've been sharing. Shared about what that means. And if you go on the website, um, you can look at those, listen to those rather. So I'm not going to repeat all that because I forgot what I said already then. And so I don't have to remember anyway, because I can just go listen to it on the internet. But I want to encourage you, if you haven't been here as you know, to go and listen to those. And we've talked about what a relational environment is. And then I started talking about how do we develop a relational environment? How do we do that? And then I started talking about what are the hindrances to developing a relational, relational environment? What's going to stop us? What's going to hold us back from allowing God through us to move in that direction? And one of the things I shared was not regularly spending time with the Lord. If I am not spending time with him, getting to know him, allowing him to change me and deal with me and my stuff and being reminded of how awesome he is and how much he loves me and how wonderful he is. If I'm not allowing that regular interchange to happen, then I'm not going to be changed, which means I'm going to be left to my own selfishness, my own self-centeredness. And then in that condition, how am I going to be able to love you unconditionally? It's not going to happen. My motives will be self-centered at best. Does that make sense? And so we have to get in his presence so he can change us, so he can convict us, so he can deal with us, so I can become more and more like him. Okay, that was the first thing. And the second thing was, and here's where I'm going to continue today. You know, the, the, two great, the greatest commandment when Jesus was asked the question, he said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? We know that one. And then he said, the second one is like it, which is kind of a peculiar statement. He said, the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the greatest commandment, if you want to sum everything up into one package, it's love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. Boom. That's it right there. That's what, if you forget what you're supposed to be doing, look at those, that verse, or those verses. And you'll be reminded. That's what it's all about. Right there. And then the guy asked, 
when he was sharing, the lawyer, whoever said to justify himself, said, so who's my neighbor? And then Jesus shares the story about the great Samaritan or the good Samaritan. I guess he's great. He's good at one time. Now he's great. But the good Samaritan. And you see that cool story about how this guy was left for dead, beaten, left for dead. The two religious guys who knew about God left him. And the one guy who seemed to have a relationship with God, that's implied, that's not stated in there. He stops and he helps this guy. And he takes care of him. Uses his resources, his time and everything to help restore this guy. And so Jesus was given a picture of what it means to love your neighbor. This is what it looks like. He says, now go and do the same. And the interesting thing is, Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. So obviously it's implied that you have to love yourself before you can love your neighbor. And so the second hindrance that we talked about to develop a relational environment is not loving yourself. If you do not love yourself, then you cannot really genuinely love other people. And therein lies a huge problem. We talked about that last week, or last time I shared, a couple of weeks ago. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to camp on that a little bit today and, and go into that some more and talk about, so how do you love yourself? Okay, if I'm having a hard time loving myself, that's an issue. If I'm having self-esteem challenges or low self-esteem or, or whatever, how do I love myself? Because until I'm able to love myself, I will not be able to love you and fulfill God's law of love. And so if we have a group of people, a family of people like we have here, and we have a very difficult time loving ourselves, we're going to have a very difficult time loving each other. It can be surfacy, and at best it will be surfacy. But when it gets to, <clears throat> excuse me, because when it gets to, when I'm getting to know a, a, a brother and I begin to learn his faults, I mean, not that you don't have any, but just hypothetically speaking, <laughs> Then what can happen, if I'm, if I'm judging myself and, and, and focused on my imperfections and my mistakes and my sin, all that kind of stuff, then when I begin to learn that about him, guess what I'm going to begin to do? I'm going to begin to judge him. But if I learn to love me like Jesus wants me to love me, then I'm going to be able to do that same thing for other people. Yeah, that's pretty hip. I like that. And so we have to learn how to love ourselves. So how do you love yourself? And I shared last time that, uh, you know, and I, was, I was talking to my wife about this recently. Even though I grew up in a, in a challenge home, in, in a home of divorce, multiple marriages and all that kind of stuff, all the baggage and the stuff that goes with that, I was very fortunate because even though my parents separated, divorced and everything, I was still raised in an environment of encouragement. I remember my mom telling me, it's like I can hear her saying this, you can do anything you set your mind to do. Of course, it was one of those mom speeches. You can do anything you set your mind to be. You can even be president. I have no desire to be president. But if I want to, according to mom, and I kept hearing that, I kept hearing that kind of encouragement, even though the environment weren't necessarily good, I kept hearing that. I don't remember any ever being told how stupid I was, how, you know, my character was never attacked. Now, I definitely got my share of spankings. Definitely. 
definitely got my share of spankings. I definitely got my share of being grounded and all that kind of stuff. So I was dealt with as a, as a child. But my self-esteem was never damaged or crushed by my parents. And so it's interesting. My mom said, you can do anything you set your mind to. Now it gets translated in the Bible to you can do all things through Christ. See, it's easy for me to hear that truth and grab a hold of it because I was told that all my life. So I didn't have issues. I didn't have challenges in that area. But I had challenges in other areas. Small stature, skinny. So you grow up hearing, man, you're skinny. Man, you're skinny. And it wasn't a compliment. It wasn't a compliment. And so I'd hear that and I would cringe and I'd begin to feel bad about myself. And I began to hate that about me. But I couldn't get away from it. I couldn't get away from it. And then into my adult years, going to college here. um, And as I shared a, a little while ago, I remember a lady in the church who felt it was her ministry to tell me, you're skinny. That must have been a prophetic word. A word of knowledge. I'm sure it was a word of knowledge. But I remember, and when she said that more than once, she said that it would cut like a knife. I mean, it would, it would hurt. And, and one thing I want to just mention, some of you, you hear me talk about, now I know we all have our issues, and mine was being skinny. I did not like that. I overcame it. I did something about it, can't you tell? Just kidding. Just kidding. But when I say that, I didn't like being called skinny. Some of you think, what's wrong with that? Are you kidding me? Because it's not your issue. You say, well, I wish they called me skinny. And so one thing I want to encourage you with is it may not be a big deal to you or you may not understand the impact that it had on my life. But we have to be sensitive to each other. You know, as a kid, you might have been, you know, your nose might have been a little bit larger than everybody else's. And so people, kids begin to point out the size of your nose or some feature about you that begin to point out and highlight. And then you be, begin to have a self-esteem problem. And the enemy begin to whisper and begin to shout at you and tell you, you're not acceptable. You're no good because of that. And that became a big deal because you began to believe the lie. I began to believe the lie that being skinny was, was horrible. It was bad. It was unacceptable. And some of you have believed the lies have been told and been pounded. Some of you have been abused physically, which would make you feel worthless. Some of you have been abused emotionally, verbally. You've been told over and over and over. Whatever it is you've been told. And so then you grow up and you believe this stuff. And you don't necessarily realize it. You don't consciously necessarily believe it. Or even aware that your, your self-talk is speaking the same language. You're this. You're a loser. You're going to be just like him. You're going to be just like her. You act just like her. You, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so here you are as a Christian, and you don't like yourself. You don't love yourself. 
And, you know, when I was in college and I had this image or this thing about being skinny, I spent a lot of time, effort, and money in trying to, over, to fix that problem. And I shared that with you last time. You know, Mr. Joe Weider's weight gain powder. Remember that stuff? Anybody, you guys remember that stuff? I mean, it still might be around. Is Joe Weider's, is it still around? Okay. Back in the day it was. It was this can, twenty nine ninety five. This can, of course, it had a big muscular man on it. And you drink this powder and abracadabra, poof, you're going to look like the man on the can. It worked, didn't it? But my whole focus was on that issue, was on that. And so if I, and as I was sharing before, because I didn't like that about myself, eventually I'm going to be upset with God because who's the one that designed me this way? He did, right? And eventually, it may not come out right away because I'm not, I'm not mad at God. I don't hate God. I, you know, because I worship Him, I praise Him, I accept Him, I love Him, I'm grateful for salvation, all that kind of stuff. But in the back of my mind, in my subconscious, I'm going to begin to resent Him because I resent the way He made me. So then how am I going to be able to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, strength? So this is a serious issue that if not dealt with, it can wreck your potential for his kingdom. It will wreck your potential for his kingdom. So I want to just share four things quickly. Quickly means within the next two hours. Quickly of how to love yourself. Okay, number one. You have to realize that you have a problem in this area and you have to deal with it head on. Realize that I have a problem in this area and deal with it head on. Don't minimize or belittle or say, oh, it's no big deal. Your self-image is a big deal because it will enhance, allow you to love people, or it will hinder you from loving people. And Jesus said, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. And we see how accepting and how loving Jesus is. Now, that doesn't mean when it comes to our sin that Jesus says, oh, it's okay. That's okay because I love you anyway. He says, I love you, but we're going to deal with this. You need to repent. This is not acceptable. Sin is never acceptable to God. So when we talk about self-esteem issues and loving ourselves and everything, I do not want you to get the idea that I'm talking about excusing or minimizing sin. Because that is not what Jesus was talking about. You know, when, when people want to use the example of how Jesus didn't judge, and he said, like the, the woman, not the woman at the well, but the, uh, the woman caught in adultery. And then he said, you know, they were wanting to kill her because she was caught in the very act. I guess she was by herself because there wasn't a man. I don't know what happened with that. <laughs> anyway, another story. But so they're about to kill her. And then Jesus says, you who are without sin, throw the first stone. We know the story. They all dropped their stones and left. And then Jesus said, you know, where are your condemners? And they left. And, and he said, neither do I condemn you. And he didn't leave it that. He didn't say, I don't condemn you either. Go have a happy life. It's not what he said. He said, now go sin no more. I accept you, but your behavior is not acceptable. Don't do that anymore. But go on. Amen? So I don't want you to get the idea that sin is acceptable, sin is okay, sin is not that big a deal, it's a huge deal. It nailed him to the cross. But I have to realize that I have a problem in this area. I have to be honest. 
I have to see this as an important issue or I will not be able to grow the way God wants me to grow and move in the way he wants me to move. Everyone has a different issue. You may think, well, you know, my issue is not that big a deal. Your issue is a bigger deal. We all have our issues. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to help us overcome those issues. Number two, so number one is realize you have a problem and and deal with it head on. Number two, you have to run into God's presence and spend time in his word. I know I said that before, but I have to say it again. And that's when things begin to change with me. I remember when I was, you know, all this time that I was having these challenges, I didn't like me the way I was. I was a youth pastor. Robin was one of my kids, Robin Maxwell. Mike Harper. I was a youth pastor. I was married. I was loving God. Moving forward the best I could. But I still had this problem. This challenge. And I remember one time I was in the youth room. Spending time with him. And it must have been he was saying, okay, we need to deal with this. I can't remember all the circumstances that brought me to this point. But I remember it was a time when I was spending time with my daddy. In his presence. And he began to show me how my design, how he designed me, had everything to do with his kingdom purposes. Had everything to do with his kingdom purposes. And I began to see me through his perspective and his purposes, and it changed my whole perspective. It changed it. But that only happened when I was spending time with him intentionally. Now, that's not automatic, and that doesn't mean, poof, everything goes away. As long as I see things from his perspective and my heart is about his kingdom, and it's about him having his way, then I'm good with the way I am. But if I begin to get self-centered and and focused on me and what I want and my ways and everything, then I begin to not be so excited about it. You know what I'm saying? So it's not automatic. As long as it's about him, I'm good. When it becomes about me, I'm not so good. So it has to be about him spending time in his presence, because what happens is he knows what you've been told. He knows what you've dealt with all your life. He knows the abuse and all the junk, whatever it is. He knows all about it. But he wants you to hang out with him so he can heal you, so he can put your broken heart together. Trade beauty for ashes. You know, these scriptures that we know about, but it's just kind of just kind of talk. He wants to make it reality in your life. And when you let him heal that stuff that really grabs your soul and hurts, when you let him heal that, you're going to be unstoppable. You won't be able to help but share with other people the goodness of God. Because you realize, man, he's so good. He's so good. I've got to tell somebody else about this. He's so good. Dude, you know how good God is? He's good. But as long as you allow this stuff to linger and, and hold on to you and drag you down, and then witnessing is going to be the last thing you want to do. Telling somebody else is going to be the last thing you want to do because you're not really convinced of it yourself. So 
So you have to get in God's presence. Spend time in his word. You have to begin to see yourself from his perspective and think of yourself as he thinks of you. Here's a book I'm going to recommend. It's called The Seven, I mean, excuse me, The Supernatural Ways of Royalty. I believe Teresa Barnes introduced me to this book. And I read this book a couple of years ago. Awesome book. I started reading it again. I was reminded of it as I was thinking about this. It's Discovering Your Rights and Privileges of Being a Son or Daughter of God. Very excellent book. I have four copies out there. If I sell them, I'll buy some more because you can get them for me cheaper. Sell them for $10. But with this book, what it does is it helps you begin to see who you are in Christ. Not who you are in you, but who you are in Christ. Helps you to see your identity. This is such a big deal because we got, God has big plans for us. Do you realize that? Do you realize that his purposes, his kingdom building is, is a huge thing? And he's so cool, so awesome, so magnificent that he's able to have his purposes accomplished by using imperfect vessels. By using a skinny man. By using us. He's not intimidated. He's not frustrated. He's not nervous. Like, oh, no, is, is it going to be able to happen? I mean, look at you guys. Look at your faults and all that kind of stuff. He's saying, come on, let's go. You know that scripture in it's, um, Matthew 5, 16, I believe? It says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify God. God gets glory when people like us, you and me, do wonderful things for his kingdom. And people see it because they look at us and say, you know, I know you. I know your imperfections, but yet you're still doing these things for him. Wow. Makes me want to worship him. Makes me realize how good he is, how powerful he is, that he can use us to accomplish his purposes. And he doesn't wait till we get perfect and all fixed and all that stuff. He just says, come with me. Come take me by the hand. Come, trust me. Come, believe me. Believe my word. The Bible says that we need to be not, no longer conformed to the pattern or image of this world, but be transformed. See, many of us have, have a pattern that has been set in motion in our brains, in our, in our psyche, in our soul. No good. We'll never measure up. You're going to be a you. You were abused. You're going to be an abuser. You grew up in an alcoholic family. You're going to be an alcoholic. You grew up in a drug family. You're going to be on drugs. All that. We, and so we've been told that. And so if you allow that course to take, its, to take its course, then you will be molded into that pattern. You'll be conformed into that image. The Bible says, as a man thinks, so is he. You are what you think. But the Bible invites us to not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's through this. We have to read what this says. We have to consume it so that we can begin to believe it. Some of us, it's going to be more difficult than others because of the past we've come through. But there's no excuse. No excuse. You say, CJ, you didn't come from an abusive home. I did. It's easier for you. It's not easy for me. I'm going to say, yeah, on a natural scale, yeah, that's true. But there's the grace of God. So if your situation is this bad... And this person's situation is this bad, then guess what? 
This person's going to get this much grace. This person's going to get this much grace. They will both have the ability to overcome. They will both have the ability by God's grace to move forward, to move out of that victim mentality. Are you with me so far? Number three. So number one, realize the problem you have in this area. Deal with it head on. Number two, we've got to spend time in God's presence. Got to get a hold of his word. Let it transform our thinking. Number three, forgive those who have offended you. Repent of the judgments made in your heart towards them. You know, I just realized this, this lady, she doesn't go to church here anymore, so you don't have to be looking around thinking, hmm, what if she's talking about her? Talking about her? You don't have to worry about it. She doesn't come here anymore. But it, I just realized recently that I had not forgiven her. And I was wondering, you know, like the Holy Spirit was dealing with me even now, a couple of days ago, that uh, even though I overcame the, the stuff of being skinny, and by the way, I'm okay with that. You can call me skinny all you want to. It doesn't hurt anymore. I just want to let you know that. It doesn't hurt anymore. But, you know, when this lady did this back in the time, then I realized, you know what? I had a negative image towards her. When I'd see her or whatever, or someone would talk about her, I just had this negative. I didn't like her, but I didn't realize that until just a few days ago. And she's not a bad person. She loves the Lord. I mean, she's not a bad person. But my image towards her was bad. And I realized because I made judgments towards her. She said something hurtful to me. I judged her. And then I realized the Holy Spirit said, you need to forgive her and repent of the judgments that you made against her. So I repented and I began to pray for her. God's blessing on her. And so we must do that. If you were abused, if you were told hurtful hateful things. You have to make sure not only that you forgive, but repent of the judgments that you made towards that person. That is so important. Because then will you be free from the pain that they inflicted in your life. Number four. Find scriptures that say who you are in Christ and confess those daily. Find scriptures. If you want to get serious about this, I was going to print some, but I was having printer issues this morning. Technology was not my friend, and so I wasn't able to, to do the, some things I wanted to do. You can Google it. You can get scriptures that who I am in Christ. And you begin to, to look at those and you begin to confess those because basically you're lining up and coming into agreement with what God says. And this is huge. You know, I, I say, why do I take, you've heard this before, why do I take issue with certain phrases and statements that I hear, or bumper stickers? Like, um, bumper stickers such as, not perfect, just forgiven. Um, that's not the main one, there's one. Sinner saved by grace. That's it. Sinner, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Why do I take issue with that? See, because on the surface, you, you hear that and you say, what's wrong with that? I have that bumper sticker on my car. I have the T-shirt. What's wrong with that phrase? It's not true. Here's what I mean by that. When you got saved, you were a sinner and you were saved by grace. 
At that point in time, it was a true statement. If that happened to you 10 minutes ago, it's no longer a true statement. Because your identity is not you are a sinner saved by grace. Some of you are kind of wrestling with thinking about that. Keep thinking. There's a scripture that says, Jesus became my sin so that I might become the righteousness of God. So from God's perspective, I'm not sinner, I'm the righteousness of God. And see, that's just a small example, but there's, a, there's, a, there's an issue behind that. We have to begin to see ourselves as He sees us. Not perfect, I'm only human. You know, you've, we've heard that. We said, I'm only human. That's not true. Before you were a Christian, you were only human. It was your spirit, your soul, and your body. The moment you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God himself came to dwell in your spirit, so you are no longer only human. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. So you, know, you are no longer only human. Now, some of us may think, well, that's not a big deal. It is a big deal. As a man thinks, so is he. I'm not a sinner. Now, do I sin? Yes. I'm not a sinner. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. As I continue to allow my mind and my soul to be transformed by what God's word says about me, then I'm going to begin to move in my image and my, my character is going to be conformed into Christ. So what happens is the sin that I now do, it becomes less and less and less and less. That's what I believe. That's what I'm experiencing. But as long as I hold on to just a sinner saved by grace, only, I'm only human, and I hold on to those things. See, that's natural thinking. But it's not biblical thinking. It's not God thinking. And here's a problem that some of us may have. Because our self-esteem is so beaten down, we can grab a hold of and relate to phrases like in the scriptures. I think in Psalms, I think it's David that says, I'm but a worm or something like that. Isn't there a scripture something like that? And someone says, see, yes, I'm only a worm. In God's eyes, I'm only a worm. And it's only because you've been beaten down by bad words about you. And so you, excuse me, you can relate to that. God doesn't say you're a worm. He says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He says you're the apple of his eye. You know, he enjoys hanging out with you when you come and say, Daddy, I just want to spend time with you. He enjoys that, I believe. I don't think he enjoys hanging out with worms. And see, we can say sinner saved by... We, we grab a hold of and, and can relate to these things because of where our soul is. But our soul has to be transformed. We have to be transformed. Because he has so much that he wants to accomplish through us that with our current mindset, we won't be able to do it. Because we feel so down on ourselves because we know our imperfections our mistakes, our sin, our whatever. And we focus on that. And then God has us calling. He says, I want you to change nations. I'm calling you to speak to kings. And you say, well, not me because I'm just a worm. And you will not be able to walk in 
His purpose is for you when you believe that about yourself. And who are you to argue with God? If the Bible says that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, then who are you to argue with that? But that's what we do. We argue with that. Or we ignore that. I remember one time when I I was sharing something along the lines of this about, um, and I didn't do it this time, I forgot to look it up, but I was looking at how many times when Paul addresses the church, he he says, saints, you know, beloved saints and all that kind of stuff. That's how he addressed the saints. But then he would tear into them, like in the Corinthian church. You know how they're, they're blessed and, and God loves them, all this kind of stuff. And he said, okay, now we need to deal with these issues. You guys are acting like children. So he dealt with the issues, but how did he address them? Saints, 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 saints. Oh, no, I'm not a saint. Because, see, we, we have a connotation of a saint is, a, is perfection. A saint is a born-again person. person who's born again. And I was taking issue and sharing that you are a saint. That's what the Bible says you are. Not a sinner saved by grace anymore. And then someone came and shared with me, well, what about Paul? Remember, Paul said, I'm the chiefest of sinners. And I was asking the Lord about that just the other day. I said, what with that? You know, because it's like that one scripture in there. He says, I'm the chiefest of sinners, and we use Paul as our example. And I believe this is what the Holy Spirit helped me to, how to look at that. If you look at Paul, he didn't address the church as sinners, but as saints. He addressed himself as the chiefest of sinners. But look at his situation. Paul's challenge was not low self-esteem. His challenge was high self-esteem. I'm the man. That was his challenge. Remember, but it was because of what God had done in his life. I mean, not only the background, his education and all that kind of stuff. He had some cool Pretty powerful credentials. And not just that, but what God did, he took him to the third heaven. He said, I saw things that I can't even talk about. I mean, the man got to witness and see some, we have no idea. And so that he would not exalt himself or be boastful or prideful. I mean, could you imagine? We don't know what he saw, but imagine you're in that situation and you saw and got to experience what he did. How easy it would be to, wow, I've arrived. Look at me. I mean, God entrusted that to me. So his issue was being humble. And so I believe that's why he saw. And because he saw, uh, he had a great revelation of God. How awesome, how holy, how magnificent God was. And he compared God to himself. Whoa, I'm the chiefest of sinners. But Paul doesn't give us that example that we go around all saying, I'm the chiefest of sinners. He didn't address and he didn't teach. You need to see yourself as a chiefest of sinners. So I think Paul's situation was unique. And not a not a normal situation. But the point is going to close. Is we have to begin to see ourselves as God sees us. We have to begin to say, I am who he says I am. I have to quit calling God a liar. And by your confession, you're either agreeing with God or you're calling him a liar. If you say, I can't do anything, that's a lie. I'm nothing. I'm no good. Lie, lie. 
We have to begin to say, God, I'm going to begin to agree with what you say. And this isn't just about so we can feel good about ourselves and be happy people. This is about his kingdom. It's about seeing him glorified, him lifted up so people will be drawn to him so that they will come to the salvation knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I know there's a balance because I know people can get arrogant, cocky, and, and have this mentality. Well, I'm a king's kid, so therefore I deserve this and that and that and this. And, and you know I'm not talking about that. I hope you know that. Those of you who know me know that's not what I'm talking about. Don't want to get out of balance. But right now I feel like the church is out of balance and we're, we're on the, the I'm scum side. And we need to move over to the I'm a king's kid side. We need to move in this direction. Amen? Okay, stand with me. I'm going to pray. <clears throat> Just going to invite you to close your eyes. And I, I believe the Holy Spirit has been putting his finger and and touching areas in your heart, your soul, that he wants to help you to overcome. He's wanting to gently move you closer to him so you can be free from the bondages. You know, as we were singing that song this morning about being free in him, I mean, that is reality that he wants us to walk in. Not just on Sunday morning, but every day. And so what I want to encourage you to do, this is you, one-on-one time with you and the Father right now, is you begin to invite Him to help deal with you in this area, whatever it may be, whatever extent or extreme it may be, you invite Him to help you in this area. You invite Him to highlight and pinpoint and show you where you need to move with what we just talked about. What practical thing can you start today? And not... Can you, but will you? And you just begin to talk to him about that. Are you to the point where you're willing to do whatever it takes to be able to move forward? Because some of us have been stuck. And if you are, just tell them, Lord, whatever I need to do, I'm willing. And if you're not, if you're not willing to do whatever, let him know, Lord, I'm not willing, but I want to be willing. Deal with my heart. That's what I do. When I'm confronted with things I should be, but I'm not, and I don't want to be, say, God, help my heart change. Change my heart. So, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for ministering to us. And we do invite you to minister to us, to challenge us, to convict us, to highlight and show us what it is we need to do, how to move forward. 
Thank you for your goodness, Lord. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you this week. Have an awesome week. And uh, whatever the Holy Spirit has showed you to do, go ahead and do it. See you next time.